Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King. Adam Silverstein here to lead you through these hard times, data with the only wrestling podcast that will inject you, not with Lysol or Clorox, but the finest wrestling audio on this planet or any other. Getting Over is back with our WWE show, breaking down everything that has happened on Raw and SmackDown over the last few days. Before we start, a reminder to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Episode releases, wrestling news, analysis, plus more every week on that Twitter account at Getting Overcast. Be sure to subscribe if you do not already. Drop us that five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to everyone who has already done so. But you see the number. It's a very, very small percentage of our entire growing listening audience. So please do me, the Silver King, that favor before today's show is over, before you finish listening, head on over, five-star rating and review. Also, be sure to tell at least one friend about getting over. Help us grow organically, or as you could say, help us get over. Uh, today, we welcome back Chris Vanini, who kind of pulled a Roman Reigns on us last week, left us just minutes before the show began. Chris, I do hope you're feeling better. How is quarantine life treating you? I am good. Sorry about that last week. Uh, woke up not feeling great. Uh, did a quick uh, telemedicine appointment with a doctor, which I got to say is very simple and easy yeah. and I think will be the future. Uh, and I feel a lot better now. So thanks to the doctors for that. And uh, yeah, feeling good now. You know, I've been thinking about that too, and not to get obviously too much into a weird subject, but once they come up with like personal kits that you could do to like check your blood pressure and, and you know, your temperature and all those little things that you have to actually go see a doctor for. Um, I agree with you. Like I, I know my company offers, you know, telemedicine type stuff as well. I haven't had to use it, you know, thank God, knock on wood, but it seems awesome. Like it seems like a really easy situation where, Hey, these are my symptoms and like, come check me out. Yeah. What just, I need. Yeah. It was just over a zoom call, uh, took 10, 15 minutes, Described awesome. my symptoms. They took a look, uh, prescribed medicine, and, and then we were done. That was awesome. So what what else are you doing during this uh, quarantine right now? I mean, obviously, we, we a couple of weeks ago discussed that you have a lot of animals in the house. So I'm sure they're keeping you and your wife busy. Uh, but are you taking on new projects? Um, not just work, but like fun stuff. What are you, what are you up to? You know, I... I've wanted to exercise more, but yeah, same haven't, been a- haven't been able to because <laughs> kind of right when it, right before everything shut down, I, I think I've sat in here before. We, we think my wife had COVID. She had all the symptoms, but back oh. then they didn't, they didn't have the testing. So they right. told her to just stay at home. We stayed at home for two plus weeks. She got better. She was fine. And then last week I get this, I think it was a viral infection type deal. So I had to do deal with that. So I haven't been in like a position to do much exercising. Honestly, what I've been mostly doing is work. Like weirdly, as there's not anything going on with college football, there's been a lot of different types of stories to do. I mean, the athletic, we've been doing a ton of different projects. We I mean, Obviously, the NFL draft just happened. Right, um, right. I'm working on some long-term stories, some different types of work projects. So it's mostly just been work. And honestly, I'm, I'm surprised how I'm the same amount of busy considering there's no sports going on. But I, I think it's probably a good problem to have. Yeah, that's the weird thing. It's like, okay, yeah, like for me, uh, people know I cover golf, college football, and, um, you know, college basketball, and also wrestling and, and, and combat sports. But it's strange because, yeah, golf stopped. So certainly like no masters and, and bigger events like that. But combat is basically still going on. Wrestling still happening. College football, it was already the off season. 
So not much has really changed. We didn't get spring practice, but that's not that newsworthy anyway. In fact, this news cycle has been more newsworthy than spring practice normally is. So college football is pretty much the same. And we did lose the NCAA tournament, but that would have already been over, you know, a couple of weeks ago. So we're past the time of, oh, stuff was supposed to be happening and now it's not. This is now the period of the year where, you know, I know NBA fans would be getting excited for the end of the season and the playoffs and, and so on. But this isn't football season. You know what I mean? I think people, if there's not football played or if it's played in, in a alternate way, I think that's where people are really going to notice, at least people in our industry, right. that like that work slows down. Because right now, like you said, the draft was happening. Wrestling's going on. Golf's coming back in June. It's like it's kind of just a blip. You know what I mean? And, and I'm I'm in the same part as you, too, because I said, wow, you know, I don't want to be stuck home, but I am going to lose a ton of weight. Like this is <laughs> this is going to be awesome for me. Right. And instead, I find myself like coming up with new recipes to make and they're not good ones. And, and, uh, you know, I get, I, by the time I finish working during the day, it's like four o'clock, I have to take care of the dog. My dog's been sick a little bit, so on and so forth. And I'm like, I'm too tired to work out. So this exercise I planned on doing, you know, how many weeks are we into this now? I'm like five weeks in, I haven't done anything like not, at least not more than I normally do, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm in that same boat and, uh, yeah, but, but. People also shouldn't feel pressured to get something done. I know there's a lot of there's a lot of people. It's like, oh, free time. Do you find a new project? Learn a, learn a new language. Do something, something. Do whatever. Do whatever feels best yeah. for you. And if you don't exercise or don't do what you wanted to do, don't feel bad about it because there's more important things going on. I agree. And, and I will say it's not like I haven't accomplished anything. I've watched the entire series of The Wire, which I'd never seen before. <laughs> a number of other shows and movies that I had been meaning to catch up. I built an entire office. I set up my entire dining room. I just moved into a house last July uh, to catch you up. Um, so oh, that, I, that reminds me. Did I, yeah. I heard last week you've been watching Succession. Where are you on that? Oh, no, no, no. Not have been watching. I watched Succession from episode one live all the way, you know, I've, I've been watching that show for years, basically. Okay, yeah, so, me too. I just wasn't no, sure if you're yeah. getting caught up because a lot of people have jumped down on that show, I know, during this. So, I was yeah, thinking. I mean, uh, you know, Jack Crosby, who's on this show, he's like, you know, he, he started tweeting like, oh, I've seen a couple episodes. This show is amazing. I'm like, where have you been, dude? Like, like Succession is 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 the apex of television in my well, opinion. Well, it it, it, it took to, to be fair. I mean, it took six episodes to get there. I'm surprised yes, Jack likes it, it right off the bat because I did not like it for six episodes back when nobody. I guess you were watching it, but nobody was watching it back then. Oh, you're and right. And right it about. turns on that boardroom scene, and then it blows up from there, and everybody jumps on board. But some of us were there from the very beginning. That that's 100 percent correct. It, it, I don't know about six episodes, but it definitely took like at least four episodes to get in. But then once it gets into it and you are seeing like their summer home and the way they treat their wait staff and like all that, it is just like a mile a minute. Every episode is better than the next. And it's incredible. That's a great show. Billions is coming back on Showtime Sunday. If you have not watched Billions previously, I do highly suggest getting caught up on it. You know, you I don't know if you have enough time to necessarily watch every episode before Sunday, but I'd start getting going now. That way you're only a couple of episodes in when you catch up and you're in the thick of it. That's another incredible show. And I, you know, Homeland just ended. I don't know if you watch that, but one of the smart- I don't I don't have showtime. So that's the problem. Oh, OK. Well, one of the smartest finales of any show I've ever seen. They That just came up Sunday. So TV's good right now. But my point is that I feel like I've done I, th- I feel like I've been productive because the Wire, when the hell else would I have the opportunity to watch five seasons of a TV show, let alone do it in like 10 days, right? So I felt good about that. Movies, like I said, the house is going. So quarantine life, like it's difficult, but 
it ain't the worst. You know, things could be worse right now. That's how I feel. All right. Let's talk, Chris, about wrestling. That's why we're here. Talk WWE in particular. And this week, we're going to go with the triple main event. And if you give me a second, I think you guys would like to hear this audio. No soundboard yet, folks, but I am working with something on my cell phone. So we're going to see if I can utilize that over the course of today's show. Triple main event, Chris. Um, This actually isn't part of it, but breaking news just happening right before this show began. Kane Velasquez released by WWE after six months and basically one match, according to Dave Meltzer. You know, this is not a loss in any way for me. Um, I think the entire Kane Velasquez era of WWE, for lack of a better term, the trial balloon was a complete failure. They bungled it from the very start. They rushed him there too quickly. He was injured. The match with Brock was shameful, almost, considering what it could have been if they had maybe built it up until WrestleMania. Um, I think Kane's a good dude. I've seen the, the highlights of him in AAA in, down in Mexico and that the fact that he actually can wrestle and certainly would get better the more he's trained and the more opportunity he has. So I'm a little bit surprised they released him because I did think there was a plan. At the same time, if they're paying him to do absolutely nothing and are willing to bring him back in a year when he's healthy and and when all this blows over, then I think it's totally fine. Uh, You know, do you care either way about this? No, I mean, like you said, it was a very brief stint. Didn't go anywhere. Lost anyway. So he didn't know where it was going to go from there. It was, it didn't feel like they had much of a plan. It it felt in some ways it felt like another Saudi Arabia one-off like Tyson Fury, I guess. I don't, I don't know. It was, very strange. And when I saw the news today, I'd honestly forgotten that he was he was doing wrestling. Just but for trip for um for Brock to have beaten him that easily, this this longtime foe, yeah. when they when they could have built up a rivalry, when he was signed for multiple years, I mean, it was so bungled. Like like so there's been certain things WWE has just really, really screwed up recently. And the introduction and rushing of Kane Velasquez was one of them to me. I mean, I'm not saying that this guy is charisma plus and that he would have been a massive WWE superstar, but he's someone that could have been utilized well by WWE because he does have in-ring ability and he does have real MMA bona fides. At the same time, you know, they basically fed him to Brock, which outside of like Kofi, you know, and a couple people like that and Ricochet, they shouldn't be feeding anyone to Brock ever like that. Yeah, and, and as it relates to bringing in various MMA guys and, and girls to, to wrestling, you, you need people who uh, kind of carry themselves with an aura and, and, and you feel interested to, to see them. When, when Kane was in the ring, those just a few times, he didn't, I don't know, he didn't feel like a big deal. I don't know if it's just that transition to sports entertainment. I know he has a, some wrestling experience, but you didn't have that same feeling as when Ronda comes in the ring or honestly, even Tyson Fury to, to, to an extent. Uh, it, it just didn't, he didn't, you know, Kane Velasquez, you know, his background, you know, he's legit. But for people who don't know who he is, when he made that, when he made that debut, it was very strange and it just never fit. And, and, and now we're done just like that. It, very, very strange start to finish. Now with that, let's get into the three biggest headlines or happenings from WWE television this week. And I'm going to start over on SmackDown, Chris, with that final segment, uh, the Triple H Ended up being a roast of Triple H. It was supposed to be honoring him on his 25th anniversary with WWE. Shawn Michaels, Vince McMahon came out. You know, I've seen such varied reactions to this segment. People saying it was great, hysterical. People saying it was terrible and they just wanted to turn their TV off and they had no idea why it went so long. 
I kind of fall honestly right in between. There were moments that I thought were great. I don't think any of it was necessarily terrible, but at the same time, there were kind of long stretches where I was saying, man, this is this is a 10-minute segment that's going for 20, and it probably shouldn't have. I'm kind of wondering if you fall into that same uh, same breakdown as I do on this. You know, I, I think a 10-minute segment that went 20 is a good way to describe it. I, I just thought it was weird more than anything else. And, like, Shawn Michaels is still legitimately funny. I, I thought he was pretty funny in this, but the rest of it felt very weird. And then Vince McMahon basically comes out and tells him the show sucks, and then... That's it. Like if you're not aware of the dynamics between everybody and, and you haven't watched wrestling for decades, it had to be extremely weird. It just it's very weird when they bring Vince out to basically crap on the show. And it's happened a few times. And this is another one of those times just to basically rib Triple H and just just weird was my takeaway coming out of it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, there were moments of this I really liked. Uh, like, right at the beginning when Triple H is going to do the spit take and the grip takes away the water bottle from him. I thought that was genius. Mm-hmm. Um, they get in the ring and it starts kind of slow. But when he starts taking the FaceTime calls, there were parts of it that were good. Like, Ric Flair, clearly the connection either wasn't good or Rick is, you know, being an older guy is a little bit slow in terms of the back and forth, the banter of it. But, you know, seeing Ric Flair was pretty cool. The stuff with Stephanie... Uh, calling and 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 Sean being Sean and making the faces behind her, insulting each other, her making the insult about his lazy eye. Like I laughed out loud. I thought that was hysterical. I was like cackling. Um, and then Sean kind of showing Triple H's lowlights and all his WrestleMania losses. I thought that was really smart and it was a really fun way to kind of roast him as the thing went on. But like, yeah, I didn't necessarily need Road Dog calling in. I didn't need the back and forth banter between them two and the pauses. And Triple H like laughing to himself for like 30 seconds before the segment continued. I thought that all elongated it and extended it beyond what was necessary. I also think if this happened in front of a crowd, you get an incredible response yes. from basically all of this. So the fact that it happened in an empty arena, a lot of the jokes were little inside things or whatever. The gaps in time would have been filled with laughs from the crowd. Instead, it's filled with silence. So you're like, oh, this is kind of agonizing when it actually wasn't. I thought the material wasn't terrible. It was just the length of time. But you're right about the the thing about Vince at the end. That is kind of what stood out to me. I I think there's two things. One, we see Vince and, and, you know, take away anything you think of him outside of the ring or outside of your TV. But on TV, what is the Vince McMahon, Mr. McMahon character? He's a virile older man who has a lot of energy and aggression and, and He's funny, but he's also serious and an asshole and all these things, right? When we see Vince now and he walks out and his face is all puffy and he's not necessarily slurring his words, but you're seeing age catch up with Vince McMahon. You don't know where he's going. Well, yeah, you didn't know where he's going, but you're seeing his age now. You're seeing an older man who is at the end of his tenure, truly doing his job. Now, we all joke and we've joked long term that Vince will lead WWE until he dies. God forbid. Knock on wood. And yeah, it's true. I mean, that's just what we know. But he because he's made himself so scarce on television, every time we see him, it's another six months or it's another year from the prior time. And he's older and his speech is a little bit worse and he doesn't look as good and he's not as funny and his thoughts aren't as coherent as they used to be. And I think that is why. 
the ending felt so bad or upsetting to people, and maybe they weren't able to articulate it. It's that Vince is coming out, and he's trying to crap on himself in WWE and be tongue-in-cheek and break the fourth wall. And he did, and some of it was successful. I think, like, the gobbledygooker story was unnecessary, but joking about Triple H and Katie Vick and the Bailey, this is your life segment, the fact that they were able to rip on that a little bit, I thought that was funny and it was well-timed. And Vince basically saying, hey, what you're doing right now, the segment sucks. And then shutting things down, that's pretty funny. That's Vince McMahon. He has the power to just turn off the lights and end the broadcast, right? So all of that worked for me, Chris. But it hurts me as a wrestling fan, as someone that has seen Vince McMahon over the last, you know, 35 years, however long, at his absolute best in so many different capacities, to see him with kind of reduced capacity here. When when you hear that music, you expect something different. And, and, and you couldn't help but think about Vince coming out and making an appearance after everything that's gone on over the last two weeks in pro wrestling, from firing people to the stuff with the state of Florida and everything. And yeah, not that you expect him to address it in this moment, but it's the first time you know, we, we see him. They make inside jokes. So everybody kind of know we know what's been going on with the company. And so to like make other jokes about it, it just it all felt weird timing wise. That that was just my takeaway from it. I, your, your points about the other stuff are right. I do think it would have been pretty good with a crowd. But I also think that falls on them for doing it when there's not a crowd. You have to do right. stuff that works when there's not a crowd. Otherwise, it's going to feel very strange. No, you're right. You're right. Um, you know, it's not it's not like they had this planned for months and then just right. kept and ran it anyway. They literally planned this knowing there wasn't going to be a crowd there. So there really is no excuse for it to have gone on that long. And let's not forget also SmackDown's a two hour show. It's not raw where you need to fill time. Right. So they really could have gotten away with not going 20 minutes and having a commercial between, you know, it should have been a 10 minute end of show, the last segment and and you end you you finish right there. And that's what they should have done. But speaking of segments that really hit home without a crowd and are planned extremely well, let's talk about the end of Raw, which to me was almost the exact opposite of the end of SmackDown. It wasn't funny. It wasn't tongue in cheek. It was serious. It was the Drew McIntyre, Seth Rollins contract signing. And I thought it was an absolute home run. Everything. The, the, the promos that they cut on each other, the way the segment was paced and handled with even though I didn't like Lawler being there at all. If you're not going to have him on commentary, why have him there? Why fly him into Orlando at all? It doesn't make any sense. But I like that he was there. But they basically said, look, Drew's like, look, man, you know how this is going to go. Just get out of here. Don't get hurt. He leaves. Um, You have Rollins looking incredibly dapper and badass in an all black suit, his hair up in a bun with one glove. You have Rollins basically saying that McIntyre, he's nothing against him. He's going to be a great champion one day, but he's not a leader now. And because of that, Seth needs to take the title back and be a leader. I thought McIntyre was, he looked crazy confident and he looks really solid as a champion. Not only does his look good, but his mannerisms, the way he acts, the way he carries himself as champion, it it, it makes you feel like he's been champion before and this is his eighth title reign. He, he just fits the role so well that it's great. Um, him just even asking Seth, like, hey, you're supposed to be this leader. Where have your followers gone? And then them paying that off immediately with mm-hmm. them fighting, Murphy running out, not just to save Seth, but then the the whole thing where Seth's hugging him and, and welcoming him as a disciple, but also setting him up to take the Claymore for him, dodging it in the perfect amount of time. Chris, A-plus segment from me. You want to set up a title match? 
Um, I mean, this would have worked with fans. It would have worked without fans. You got you got a shit there. Like he called him full of shit. That would have popped the crowd. It popped me. A, a plus segment. Like I'm excited for this match. I at first, you know, I was kind of saying, hey, look, Rollins McIntyre. I feel like they're rushing it. This should probably be a SummerSlam match. No, I'm bought in, man. I'm all in. Give me this match. Yeah, and it's like I said a couple weeks ago. Seth is a guy who I think at this point you can put in a match and it's fine. It feels fair. And, and you don't need a ton to build that up. He, he's deserving of that spot. And Seth, talking about what they said, uh, Seth did a great job putting himself and McIntyre over by saying, Drew, you will be a great champion. You're not there yet. You're, 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 you've got everything it takes, but you're not there yet. You're not me. That's a great way to make everybody feel important, and you're not putting him down. You're insulting him without putting him down, and there's a, there's a clear difference to that. Love that they had that. I, I still really wish, I, I feel bad for Drew McIntyre that he still doesn't have a crowd to work with because, man, yeah. he has been really good. The crowds were really into him leading into WrestleMania, and this would be that moment where he is becoming a big, big star with the crowds behind him, and he has to do this without that, and that's tough, but I still think he's doing a pretty good job. Last thing I'll say about uh, this bit here, I love that they were dressed in street clothes and looked Good. It wasn't they come out in their trunks and a T-shirt. Right. They, they, they come out right. like regular people to sign a contract. And Drew McIntyre, there's two people. Drew McIntyre looks incredible in street clothes. Like I know we see these people in their underwear and the idea is they all look you know, larger than life. But it really you really feel that when you see Drew McIntyre just wearing pants. And, 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 and no shirt and he takes the shirt off and you're like, whoa, now I for some reason, now you can tell that this guy is a monster. Charlotte, uh, Charlotte is another one when she's in street clothes. She just yeah. looks even yeah. more imposing. I, I don't just because they're generally bigger than <laughs> other people of, of their gender, just taller, bigger and everything. And uh, Drew McIntyre looks like an absolute beast uh, when he's in his street clothes. I like Seth in the suit. Everything about that segment worked from what they said, what they look like, everything. There's a few people who that works for. It also works for Asuka, who is way more yeah. of a badass when she's wearing the suit in NXT. Totally. And you're like, man, she's a business woman. Like, she's here to just to kick some ass. Samoa Joe, even you saw him on commentary. But when he was when he first debuted on the main roster as like, I think it was Vince, Vince's henchman or Triple H's henchman, Triple H's. Um, and he was wearing the suit. You're like, oh, my God. Like, Samoa Joe looks like a total badass. What's interesting is that normally the champion wears the suit and the challenger wears, you know, his version of his normal, you know, where, how he would look normally. And if you watched Monday night, Drew is dressed very similar to how Seth has been dressed in his more street clothes looks over the weeks, the leather jacket open, you know, like with jeans or or whatever type of pants he was wearing. Um, And you would expect Drew to be in the suit. Instead, you had Rollins looking dapper, uh, I don't like using this term, but AF, because um, I can't say the actual words, uh, looking dapper as hell and like a total silent type of, you know, all-knowing badass. And you even look, and I'm not trying to draw an, an AEW comparison, I'm just saying, you look at Brody Lee in AEW wearing a suit and you're like, what? huh, he shouldn't be wearing a suit. Like, it doesn't work for me mentally. Like it, it disconnects me a little bit. But you see Seth Rollins in a suit and you're like, man, that guy wears a freaking suit. You know what I mean? Yep, yep, totally. It, it fits the character. Both of these guys, what they wore, it fits their character. And and those are little things that go a really long way. And, and it pays off in a segment like this. And the other thing that um, we've talked about, too, is who has been helped most 
by the empty arena setting in WWE, at least on the main roster. I don't think anyone's been helped more than Seth Rollins. His promo work has been absolutely incredible. His words have weight to them. He's actually been able to develop a character and not have to worry about what chance or, you know, any stuff like that from fans. I think that WWE, you know, the ratings are going down each week. I think people aren't as interested in these empty arena shows as they are when there's fans and energy and lights and, and, you know, pyro and things like that. But they have really simplified the product. And that means cohesive, longer term storylines, better promo work and character development. And you're seeing it from Rollins. We're going to talk about it in a little bit from uh, someone else that we saw it on Monday night. You know, is there anyone that you can think of on Raw or SmackDown that has been helped by this empty arena setting more than Seth? Well, there's one I'll get to in a second. But as it relates to Seth, and I think a lot of the heels, when you don't have a crowd and they're not speaking to the crowd, they're not being as sarcastic. And that's something we get yeah. way too much in WWE promos from heels is, is sarcasm toward either the, the opponent or the crowd largely. And now they can't do that anymore. And so they're being forced to generally be a little bit more serious and introspective when they're talking as heels. And that's exactly what you're seeing from, from Seth. You, you get the sense he's believing in himself and what he's saying, and he's not saying something just to get a boo. And I'm definitely buying it a lot more. The only other person I think maybe who's, gotten as much from no crowd as someone like uh zelina and her faction who we'll get to in a minute but guys who can build something up without people chanting who are you or 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 whatever they're allowed to just be their characters as heels continue to look strong as they do later in the show here it's a great point and you're right zelina is basically she'd probably be number two in my book who's helped themselves the most because zelina has come out of nowhere to be you know, I said it a few weeks ago, and I don't, I'm not trying to draw a comparison saying she's as good as this person has been, but she is on her way, I think, to being a Paul Heyman-esque type of manager. Um, someone who has a plan, who is devious, methodical, and and knows what they're doing, and is not just someone who's Sami Zayn, who's kind of just directing people around and, you know, and, and it works and they're kind of hapless and they're all in it for themselves, which a lot of managers are. She actually is there to better her clients um, in storyline. And I really like the job that she's doing. Let's use that to transition into a look at the money in the bank picture overall. We're going to talk Raw and SmackDown, both matches, all here in one segment here. There's been a lot of updates and changes to these ladder matches uh, over SmackDown and Raw. But let's start with Raw because you mentioned her group, uh, her faction, which Again, I just think they should call them the association and just move on because it's a great name and uh, it fits them. And she keeps calling them her associates. So I don't know why you wouldn't just give them a name and let's go. Uh, Names are important and you can sell merch and people would buy it. But they had a huge night and the feuds that they were involved in had a huge night. There was the six-man tag team match to open the show, which I thought, Chris, probably if you're grading, um, got like a B plus. And then the United States Championship match with Apollo Crews going up against Andrade later in the show, which again, I would give probably another B plus, and it probably would have been an A had there actually been a finish of you know greater significance. But I thought that WWE told a fantastic story uh, in these two matches. First, it kind of struck me, and I didn't realize it initially, that on the Raw side, every single person in Money in the Bank is a face. So I found that to be interesting. But that match was great. It showcased all six competitors, The fact that Apollo got a clean win over the United States champion was huge for him. 
I thought the promo and the slap backstage was epic. No, the promo wasn't epic. The slap was epic. The promo was good. It set up the match later in the show. And then they give us a United States Championship match. And what they don't do, which WWE definitely would have done in the past, is have an Andrade hit his finisher, pin Apollo. Apollo goes into the Money in the Bank match, loses, doesn't win, and then Apollo's done. And it was a one-night push, and everything's over. Instead, they give Apollo an injury. Now he's getting, you know, uh, emotion behind him. He, the promo that he cut while he was, like, limping off backstage and, and had to pull himself now out of the Money in the Bank match, something we found out after Raw went off the air. Now there's emotion behind him. There's sentiment. You actually care. You're invested in this character. Yet, Apollo didn't get his win back. He's still the United States champion. And now they've opened up this big question mark of who's going to replace Apollo Crews in the Money in the Bank match. So I thought they nailed the character work on Apollo. They didn't make Andrade look weak despite um, him actually losing clean. And now we have a, not a whodunit, but like a, a what's going to happen question leading us into Raw next week and maybe even the pay-per-view next Sunday. Yeah, with with fewer people just generally being around, it is it, it has forced them to tell a story throughout the night. And they've done this for a few weeks now, largely with, with Zelina's group here and the, and the different people they're feeding with. You see someone at the beginning of the show, you're going to see them a little bit later and then a little bit later and then, at the, and, and then at the end. And that's not normally there's so many people who are going segment to segment to segment to segment and, and you're forgetting things that are happening. And yeah, I, I, I think a B plus is a good way to describe all this, but I think a B plus is better than what you get from a normal episode of Raw outside, oh, yeah. of, outside of WrestleMania season. Of course. And, and of course. I, I feel like the Apollo thing is an, another B plus where if there was a crowd when he makes his comeback, whenever that is, it will be an A, but he won't be able to get that. But still, it was nice to see some aggressiveness out of him with the slap. Uh just, again, really good setup for everything, like you said. And now we kind of got some mystery going into Money in the Bank. I felt bad because I, I thought they'd built it up well. And, and you and now I want Apollo to get that. Yes, spot. exactly. <laughs> right. And, and and now he's he, like both as a character, but just like him as a person. You're like, oh, he's getting a push. Now he's not getting a push. But they're working you. And I like that. Well, yeah. I mean, my my expectation is that, you know, um, certainly he's not in the match and they're going to probably put maybe Murphy or Angel Garza or someone like that in the Money in the Bank match. That would at least be my expectation. Um, and if you have a pick for that, we, you can give it in a moment. But I, I would say Murphy. I'm going to expect Murphy to get in there um, maybe with Rollins' help, you know, in, in a second chance type of match where everyone who lost the qualifiers gets another opportunity in a triple threat and the winner goes on. Murphy would make the most sense to win out of that group. Um, but now they're setting up a possible Apollo U.S. title feud with Andrade, which makes so much sense because coming out of Money in the Bank, Drew's going to need another heel challenger. So you have Apollo take the title off Andrade. Now he's U.S. champion, which is a big moment for him. There's a lot of heel challengers that are there for him. And you have Andrade, who, who you can build up against Drew McIntyre, whether at the next pay-per-view or at SummerSlam or whatever. If anybody from the associates gets in the Money in the Bank, I kind of feel like I want them to win it and i'd love to for zelina's group to have a, a title and a money in the bank I, they are the most interesting thing going on for me right now on raw and anything that happens around that group is what i'm 
rooting for. So, so in terms of who wins the money in the bank, uh, that's what I'd like. But you're right. It, it starts an Andrade Apollo U.S. title feud probably in the short term. He'll uh, probably be back pretty soon. And uh, and we go from there. And I like it. And, and they deserve all the credit in the world. You know who else got a lot of credit last night? Zelina Vega for wearing like the largest pair of heels ever <laughs> that we've ever seen on television. And uh, you guys all know how I feel about that. But um, I, I think Murphy's going to be in that match. You think someone from uh, her stable is going to get in? That makes sense. But there's other things happening in Money in the Bank. Uh, for the men's side, we just saw Corbin, King Corbin, beat Drew Gulak Friday night on SmackDown. I don't think you're going to disagree that that's the right decision between those two to be in the match. Corbin, again, a lot of people don't like him. Um, they think he gets overpushed and overused. And yeah, I'll agree with you regarding that at least. As far as Elias is concerned, that thing's going on too long. But Corbin is still one of the bigger stars on on WWE television right now. And I do like him in that match. I do think he's a good worker. And then Friday night on SmackDown, they've already announced it will be Dolph Ziggler against Otis for the last spot. Who do you want to see come out of that match and make it into Money in the Bank? Uh, Out of the Otis-Ziggler match? Yeah. Uh, Probably Otis. I I mean... Probably Otis because I'd like him to have a chance. I mean, when Ziggler gets it, you know he's not going to win it, but he'll make somebody look good in the process. Uh, One thing about Corbin, I'll say, is I I think we got to retire the King gimmick. These things go too long, and we're not even referencing him winning King of the Ring or why he's the king, and you kind of forget about it. And I think I I liked Baron Corbin as a character. I think there's different ways they can go. Uh, The King stuff feels a little bit, played out just like everything he seems to do goes a little bit too long feuds, what have you. Uh, I, I like Corbin. I think he can do a lot, but uh, that was just another he, thought I had on Friday was that the King stuff is kind of, it, it's, it's done here. I think every time in history that WWE has had a King of the ring, that person has held the King gimmick too long. It certainly yeah. happened with Booker T. I can tell you that. Um, so for me, I, I'm with you on that. I like King of the Ring. Longtime listeners of the show know. Love King of the Ring. Love. King. I want I want King of the Ring to be annual. I don't necessarily think every single person needs to be king whatever after they win. Um, they can just take the crown and earn themselves a title shot or a boost in, you know, um, prestige in WWE and then drop it all and kind of move on and just be the better person that you've become. King Corbin, I think it's decent because it's a nice transition away from like the TGI Fridays character that he had been. So they needed something to kind of reinvent him a little bit. And this gives him like an air of superiority, which he always, it's a character that he's always had, but it's just a different version of it because he was the constable and then the GM or whatever. And now he's the king. Um, But yeah, you're right. It, It probably has run its course. I would say once Money in the Bank ends, they should really be fading that out. You're right. The the Ziggler Otis thing kind of pisses me off a little bit because the natural continuation of this storyline is like a mixed tag team feud with Ziggler and Sonya Deville and Otis and Mandy Rose. And we just saw this match at WrestleMania and Otis won. So Otis beating Ziggler again doesn't really do much for me. Also, and I'm not saying that Tucker is as good as Otis, but Tucker is a big part of why this Otis thing has worked. And he's really good. I want to see these guys as a tag team right now. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about it later. But there's a whole tag team situation going on on SmackDown, and they're not even being considered because they're busy with this other stuff. So I actually think Ziggler should win this match, primarily because you're right, Ziggler won't win Money in the Bank. 
but he's a worker, right? And I would prefer Ziggler trying to go from the lobby of Titan Towers to the roof than Otis, who, yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? Put Otis on the stairs and like make me believe he's going to he's going to walk up, you know, 20 flights of stairs? No, I mean, I don't believe that for a second. Now, if he just jumps on an elevator, you know, and takes it, sure, maybe. But I mean, I know, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything about Otis because I couldn't do it either. Don't get me wrong. But um, so I, I'd prefer Ziggler in this match because of his ability to bump, because of his ability to sell and everyone else that's in the match. You kind of need Ziggler in it. I also think it's good that you have Mandy help Ziggler. I'm sorry, uh, Sonia help Ziggler. And then Mandy comes out to save Otis and it continues that story. The heel gets one up. It's not a clean win. And, and that's kind of how I would book it personally. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And and I, I like Heavy Machiner as a tag team, and they're not really much of a tag team anymore. And everybody right. else seems to be in that SmackDown tag team deal. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I uh, y- You do need somebody in there to make it look good. Uh, and that's probably what's sure. – that's probably what – I bet you that's what happened. I, I think it's a good pick. Now, moving over um, to the women's match, we did see Asuka, Nia Jax, and Shayna Baszler in what was supposed to be a triple threat match on Raw that never started. And a lot of people were really criticizing this because it was an advertised match and it never started and we didn't get you know what they promised us and so on. But you know, when you look at the three competitors in this match, out of those three, who was going to lose? The answer is Asuka because they're not going to have Shayna take a fall. They're not going to have Nia Jax take a fall. And it's a triple threat match, so there's no disqualification, basically. So Asuka would have lost. In lieu of that happening, them giving us a little bit of a brawl and Nia Jax looking strong because she's the one who's most recently returned by taking out the other two women, it really wasn't the worst thing to me. Now, Chris, you know, we haven't been doing this for too long, you and I talking wrestling, um, but I basically hate Nia Jax. I just, I, I don't think she's very good. I do think she's dangerous. Um, I don't think she's particularly talented. She's not good on the mic. And when I see her on my television, I don't think kill her face. I just think get off my TV. So, um I don't care for her getting pushed, but I think if you're going to do something where you're trying to build her up entering money in the bank, better for her to do this than for her to like kick Asuka and pin her one, two, three. Yeah, I thought that whole match segment was strange. I was a little bit confused at what was going on when they just basically ended it. So and and then you realize, yeah, the point is to, okay add a little bit more to Nia since she's come back and and build her up for the match and you get it It doesn't make anybody look bad. You know, I know we kind of hate the whole 50 50 type of deal, but I I don't think it made I don't think it made Oscar or Shayna look bad at all for for Brawl. I think there's different ways you could do it than announce a match and not have a match. do backstage they haven't done it despite being in the performance center they haven't done a ton of backstage stuff that you can do it's generally all in the ring um but you know i i think it it, it accomplished exactly what it wanted to which is exactly what you just laid out yeah and i think you know there's been criticism long you know long time for wwe for not giving matches they promise um and then false finishes and dqs and all that and look there's no question that historically wwe has done far too much of that They've given us so many Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens matches over the last like calendar year um, th- that were either tag team or six man or one on one that ended in DQ or count out or whatever the case. Yes, it's frustrating. But when you utilize these things as a device, a storytelling device, as we said, the ref stoppage in the Apollo Andrade match, that was a good finish. Like, I know that we didn't get a pinfall and, and you know, Andrade didn't hit his finisher and pin Apollo. But that wouldn't have been a good result. Apollo beating him twice in one night and winning the U.S. title about to enter Money in the Bank would not have been a good booking. 
could they have not booked the title match? Sure. But they also gave us an incredible title match. So there are things like that where, yeah, I'm a, I'm totally fine with WWE creatively booking finishes and having stoppages and DQs occasionally, once a show, not seven times in one show. And I think that WWE succeeded doing that on Raw. Granted, it was twice in one show, but I just didn't have much of an issue with that match never starting and it going that way. I thought it was better than the alternative. And that's really the point I'm making. Over on SmackDown, Chris, we did have Lacey Evans insert herself into the Money in the Bank women's match by beating Sasha Banks after some interference by Bailey. And again, a lot of people got up in arms about this because Sasha Banks lost again. In fact, I don't think she's had a singles win, or I think she's had very few singles wins on the roster uh, since returning. And, you know, her feud with Becky, she never beat Becky once. And she's kind of gone right over to SmackDown and basically lost every singles match that she's been in. But in this case, again, while that would normally anger me, they are telling a story here with Bailey. I thought the match was pretty solid between someone I don't like in Lacey Evans and Sasha, who's a great worker. The finish I thought was booked extremely well with Bailey not really interfering, but distracting the referee enough to upset Sasha and distract her. And then Lacey hits the women's right and wins. So again, I come out of this. I, I think I tweeted about it. I was like, that was a damn good segment. I love the story they're telling. It made sense that they had Lacey win and enter Money in the Bank in that scenario. Would I have booked Sasha in Money in the Bank? Absolutely. That's who I think should have won Money in the Bank and carried the briefcase and kind of hung out with Bailey long-term and cashed it in on her when she wasn't in, ex expecting and then starting a feud. But that's not the booking direction they're going. Just because it's not the direction I want them to go doesn't make it bad. So in the context of just what's going on with Sasha Bailey, I, I think it worked. I think the larger context of what's going on in the SmackDown women's division is the larger problem, and it's kind of hard to ignore it. You have Tamina in a championship match. Right. You have uh, Dana Brooke beating Naomi. You have Lacey Evans beating Sasha Banks. Like, none of these things as a whole should be happening. And I, <laughs> that that's where I think the larger problem is. I do think they will actually pay off. I mean, I hope they will actually pay off Sasha Bailey this time. I imagine with everything yeah. they're putting into it that they will. Yeah. But it, it's the other stuff just kind of happening around it that makes everything feel a little bit off. You you talked about how you don't like N Nia Jax. That's generally my thoughts with Tamina. I, I think Nia Jax could fill the Tamina role and, and, and everybody would be fine with that. But yeah, that that's just my 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 problem. I I Sasha Bailey's fine. I, I think they're they're stretching it out very well. I'm excited for it. I assume they're going to pay it off. But when you see Dana Brooke beat Naomi and and in general the idea of Sasha Banks losing to Lacey, not a fan of that. But it is what it is. Well, the problem with Tamina and Nia Jax is they treat Nia Jax like a star when she should be more like Tamina. But then Tamina. They've treated like absolute trash when she's a bit better than that. Like right. there, there's a happy medium for both women where they really should both be in this mid-card role if there was one in the women's division. But instead, Nia Jax is treated like a main eventer and Tamina's treated like a low-card worker when, I mean, she has the history, she has the name value. Her promos aren't great, but she was pretty good um, the last two weeks on SmackDown in terms of like, I mentioned it last week with, you know, Sasha giving her a size small shirt. And she's like, you know, I wear an extra large and throwing it at her this week with the super kick out of nowhere on Bailey. 
Like, does she deserve a title match? No, but Bailey's beaten everyone else on SmackDown, basically. So it makes sense for them to go in this direction as an interim feud. I have no issue with that as an interim feud. Um, so that I, I can accept that. And again, like, the, you know, again, you, we haven't been doing this too long, but there is no person more upset about the way that they use Sasha Banks than me. I'm a massive Sasha fan. She's probably my second favorite woman, maybe my favorite woman. Actually, she is. She's number one on the entire main roster with a bullet. And and the fact that she's not winning matches and that she's been relegated to backup duty with Bailey for the better part of two years, it's ridiculous to the point where every time, like Sasha's the bigger star, but even when they were tag team champions, they would hit Sasha's music for five seconds, then Bailey, then they would walk out to Bailey's music. Hell no, Sasha's the star. It should have been the other way around. So yep. this has been going this way for a very long time where Sasha Banks, who really should be of the four horsewomen, at least two at any given time, one often, but two to either Charlotte or Becky or Bailey, given the circumstances of the year and the storylines. She's been four for a very long time, and it's really a joke. So, okay, now you understand where I think about Sasha. And yet I still thought this was good because, look, sometimes you got to have someone lose to progress a storyline in one direction, which they're doing. And yet Lacey Evans, again, I don't like her at all. I think the gimmick sucks. But if you want her to be legitimate, she needs to win a qualifying match. I'm not saying she should win money in the bank, but she should probably at least be in it. So that's why, ultimately, that's why I'm okay with all this. Yeah, I, I, I think in the Dana Brooke over Naomi thing is also kind of hovering over this for me as kind of the larger yeah. picture. And yeah, it, it, like I said, Tasha should be the bigger star. And you wonder when they're going to pull that trigger. And it's been quite a while, but I don't know. I, we'll, we'll see where it goes. I, the, the, it's Bailey Sasha's been told well enough. I'm willing to see where it goes and not just sit here and trash and everything. All right. Now let's move into the fastest 15 minutes in professional wrestling. Five topics, about three minutes each, and we're going to get out of here pretty quick after that. I want to talk about what happened on Raw regarding Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. We're now about a month into this tag team existing. They continue to impress me every single time. The hot tag of Cedric Alexander is awesome. Uh, and they win the match, which is great. After the match, they have MVP hit the Titantron and basically say, hey, I'm now a manager, but I'm going to be managing Brendan Vick and Shane Thorne, which puts me in two minds, Chris. One, is that a swerve where he's actually going to ma uh, manage Ricochet and Alexander as a heel team and they're going to turn on these guys or something like that? Or is this the direction they're going in and that they're going to bring up Brendan Vink and Shane Thorne into the tag team picture on Raw? Yeah, that was a bit weird, but I, I thought they've told the story well. I know people were down on them a few weeks ago, but I, I still think they, they clearly like Ricochet, Cedric, Alexander. And one thing I'll say about them as a tag team, something you just mentioned, the Bailey, Sasha, play two songs, come out thing. I, WWE does that all the time. I hate it. Ricochet and Cedric Alexander are coming out to just Ricochet, Ricochet, Ricochet's song, and it works. And they both do their pose at the entrance. They got one song for two guys. They dress the same, although Ricochet is now wearing trunks instead of pants and Cedric Alexander's in pants. Uh, I like what they're doing as a tag team. I like that they have slowly built these guys up and they tease something for next week that has you intrigued. And again, it's just basic storytelling stuff that, oh, I'm interested in what's going to happen next week now. OK, but here's the thing. So you're right about that. And I do like that they come out to one theme. But Cedric Alexander, Chris, 
has the most banging theme in WWE. <laughs> and the fact that we don't get to hear it frequently is a shame. I'm going to play it. In the dark, I feel it home. Time has passed and now I've grown. Used to dream I'd have it all. Now it's mine, I won't let go. I mean that's a that's an absolute banger, dude. Like it is, it is. I, I like so hard. too. I like both their songs. I know, I know. It's, I'm just saying, if there was one where like a mashup would actually be awesome, if they did like his intro and then the rest of Ricochet's theme, if they could figure that out, that would be a badass theme. But what's really strange is that even when Alexander got brought up from NXT and 205 Live to the main roster, they actually cut the intro of his theme, which was the best part. So um, I don't know, but. That is a banger theme. So you're like, you're right. You're 100% right. But dude, I, I love that theme. It's, it's just, I just hate that um, we don't hear it frequently enough. But look, more importantly, certainly, is the fact that Cedric Alexander and Ricochet are on television, winning matches, being involved in something serious. And if we ultimately get, especially if they do turn them heel, Ricochet Alexander against the Street Profits, wow, that is a match. Like, I'm excited for that. So We'll see what they do, but Ricochet Alexander, it's a big thumbs up. And people people got really down that they lost to the Viking Raiders, but that's the Viking Raiders. They're big, badass former champions. It's okay for them to lose that match. Uh, we're also seeing some women get more screen time recently. Certainly Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot. We'll talk about them first. Uh, but even Carmella and Dana Brooke, they've been more frequently on television, for better or for worse, um, for one of the comments you made slightly earlier. Liv Morgan, Ruby Riot, they had that match again. I thought it was... A little repetitive and unnecessary. Uh, but Liv Morgan's finisher, uh, Oblivion, great. The the flatliner from like a springboard flatliner, fantastic. Her promo after the match also got a lot of people talking where they feel like young girl trying to find herself isn't really a good gimmick for a professional wrestler. I didn't think the promo was great, but I don't mind the theme or the storyline or the gimmick for her because she's like, I think she's 25. She's been doing this for three or four years. And she is kind of finding herself. We haven't known who Liv Morgan is, and she hasn't had a set character. Even when she came back at first, it seemed like there was some type of lesbian angle with Lana. Then they scratched that after one appearance, and now she's kind of just in this character. So I think the reinvention of Liv Morgan has been fine, and the promo was not great. It was not A-plus material, but I thought it was fine, everything considering. I feel like the Riot Squad has gotten more... Uh, push post breakup than when they were actually a team. I, I feel like it's been forever since they broke up and they've continued to try to drag stuff out of that, which is fine. It, it, it it's it's a team. It's a not quite a faction as as we defined a few weeks ago. But uh, it, it's a good callback again. Um, I, I love Ruby Riot. I think there's a lot there. I think Liv Morgan's Liv Morgan's fine again. We don't know a lot about her, so I think the idea of trying to find herself is fine. We've just seen them kind of stop start a number of times and we don't know if they're actually going to follow through with that. Uh, so yeah, I, I guess it's kind of where my I, thoughts on where things are. I just think it's funny that everyone begs WWE to do unscripted promos. And then when they get them and Liv Morgan, maybe fumbles her words a little bit or gets lost. They're like, Oh, she was horrible. That was terrible. Like, yeah, sure. Yes. Both things can be true. They should be unscripted, but they should also be good. But when they are unscripted, people are going to fumble, especially people that have literally their entire career only experienced written promos. So someone like Liv Morgan, before you crap on her, I mean, give her a few months like to cut promos and see how she does. Like Ronda Rousey, you can actually say her promos got worse the, the longer she was in 
WWE. And towards the end, some of them were pretty cringe bad, right? But she was still a good wrestler and her character was good, et cetera. Well, Liv, she's reinvented herself in the ring. She has a finisher. She's looking pretty good. People are excited about her. Okay, her promos need work. Give her a little time to get to get good on the mic, okay? I, I don't think that's too much to ask. Uh, the other thing I mentioned was the women's championship, the tag team championship, uh, between Bliss and Cross against Carmella and Dana Brooke. And I did say on last week's show, the fact that Dana Brooke and Carmella even got a title opportunity made no sense. That said, the match wasn't terrible, and I really liked the new finisher from Bliss and Cross, which was basically a 3D DDT, like a 3DDT, if you want to call it that. Um... You know, with the lift and then the DDT coming from Alexa Bliss at the end, that's a really cool tag team finisher, especially for them. And it kind of gives me hope that they're actually going to continue doing something with the women's tag team division because I thought the Kabuki Warriors did a fine job. But the fact that Alexa has it every time she has a title, you know, it's going to be on television. You still have the Iconics over there on SmackDown. There's a lot of other women who haven't gotten a lot of opportunities recently. So I feel pretty good that they're going to have a nice run with the titles and actually allow them to mean something. Why are they calling them Bliss and Cross instead of Bliss Cross? They're called, well, I don't even think they have a name. Well, they, they, they've been referred to as Bliss and Cross, and it makes no sense. <laughs> Bliss Cross is right there. I that just it was a little thing that the only thing that bothered I, me. I don't, the know if they thing, have an, I don't know if they have an official name, but like it's right there. I don't know if they don't realize it or don't want it, but it's like they're right on the edge of it. Well, the only thing I've heard them referred to as is Bliss Cross Applesauce, yeah, which is yeah. like a shirt they have. But yeah. what, are you, what, are, what are you saying they should be called? I, I think just Bliss Cross as shorthand works. And they, like they match together as one word, you're saying? Yeah, Bl- Bliss Cross, yeah. Got it, okay. Like they've called them Bliss and Cross, and it's like it's right there. But yeah, I, I like the finisher. Um I, I I like Carmella just in general. I think she does a really good job and yeah, yeah. pretty much all facets. And you know D- Dana Burke has problems, but she's a perfectly good sidekick to the tag team. I didn't like Dana Burke going over Naomi there, but I like I like Naomi uh, Carmella and and uh, Dana Burke as the tag team definitely. So uh, yeah, a, a title defense maybe wasn't deserved, but it's we rarely get a title defense, so I'm I was fine with it. It's always funny when you look at like coming out of NXT. Enzo, Big Cass, Carmella. And you're like, out of these three, who's going to have the best career? Who's going to get released first? It's like, well, Carmella's going to get released first. Uh, Enzo can really speak on the mic, but Big Cass, man, he's Vince's dude. Like that guy could have a really long career. And yet Enzo's gone, Big Cass is gone soon after. And Carmella's here as multiple time champion and like being in title matches and improving every single time she's on television. Yeah, it's really she, does, she does great. She, she's good on the mic, good in the ring, just good all around. Now, we also saw the return Monday night of Jinder Mahal. We do not hinder the Jinder on this podcast. Absolutely dominated and ran through Akira Tozawa. I thought Jinder looked pretty decent in the ring. You know, he's not a great worker. Uh, Even when he had his championship run, his matches were boring uh, top to bottom. They were never really that exciting. His mic work was okay to decent. It never really bordered on great. But the guy freaking looks the part. And, you know, bringing Jinder back, we're talking about, hey, what about an Andrade, uh, Drew McIntyre feud down the line? What if the interim feud is Drew McIntyre versus Jinder Mahal, 3MB versus 3MB? I don't know how he gets a title match so quickly, but if you give him three or four weeks of dominant wins over people, I think he would at least be deserving of a challenge. Yeah, I think he'd be a great one-off batch for, for Drew. And that's the first thing I thought when I saw him come back. It's like, oh, yeah. 
I, I did not hate his title run like most. Like there are certain title runs I don't like. I don't want any more Randy Orton title runs, that type of stuff. I really? thought it was it, it was wait, wait, it wait, was, wait. pause. Wait, wait, 30 second timeout. Yeah. You don't you don't want Randy Orton being champion again. No, I, I don't like him. I, I, I liked him in the, the I'll say I liked him in the, the authority role with Triple H behind him and that kind of stuff where he was a bit paranoid. But the whole champion after beating Bray Wyatt and that type of deal, I just not. No, I like mysterious Randy Orton a lot more than when he's out there having to okay. cut promos and do stories as, as, as a champion. I thought the gender feud was different. I, I wish not every single match ended with the the his assistants interfering and every single match ending the same, but I thought he was fine on the mic. He got pretty good heat from the crowd. Uh, did I didn't. Heat. Yeah. Did yeah I, I didn't necessarily like them always leaning into, he's going to speak a different language and get booed, but I, I thought it was fine for what it was. And, and I, I, I he looks the part. I, he does enough on the mic for me. The ring is not great, but it doesn't have to be a long match. And yeah, I, I think give him a couple weeks and, and give him just a one-off title shot with Drew. It'll be a fun little story. And, Go from there. I, I think he's perfectly serviceable as a mid-card guy, and I thought the one title, well, every once in a while, a title shot is fine. Yeah, I mean, when Actually, they brought... Speaking of, this, speaking of this, I'm just going to say this right now. While we are recording, I have CNN on my TV. John King is talking to Mayor Glenn Jacobs of Knox County <laughs> on my TV screen while I'm recording a wrestling podcast. Very strange dynamic going on here, but I just wanted to point that out. It is very funny. Um, you know, the, my, my issue with Jinder, and I said it on the prior show I was on, it was never... They brought him back and pushed him because he looked a, like a million bucks and he deserved the push and he deserved the opportunity. But when they brought him back, there was flux in both the WWE championship picture and the United States championship picture. And what they should have done was brought him in and given him the U.S. title and have him do the exact same stuff that he did, the exact same stuff. But with the U.S. title where it would have made sense with him as a mid-carter and then had someone else, I forgot who it was at the time, but have that feud and that run be for the WWE Championship. It would have made so much more sense. It would have been received better. And had Jinder succeeded with the U.S. title run, then they could have uh, you know, vaulted him into the main event picture, given him the win and gotten him, try to get him over with the Indian, uh, when I say Indian, I mean India, the Indian population, like they were trying to as they were moving into that market. Instead, they rushed it. He wasn't ready. Um, and while he did look the part and act the part, the matches weren't good. The promos weren't good. And it kind of just fell apart. All right. That's right. Also, that intro, his intro song is an absolute banger. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is. But they removed, like, so his song's great, the theme. But when he first came back, they there was, like, a Titantron video and, like, the entrance where the... Um, the floor like got black and kind of there was a red carpet mm. and they got then they got rid of it yeah. and and they made it just generic again. So but you're right. His entrance was pretty sick. And, and I do like gender a lot. At least again, the presentation is really solid there. Um, I, I was going to go through the tag team picture. We're running a little bit out of time in terms of the quote unquote fastest 15. I was going to talk about it on Smackdown and Raw real quick. Lucha House Party getting a surprise win over Miz and Morrison. Thought it was good booking just because you never expect something like that to happen. So anytime you get it, it's good. It also legitimizes them a little bit. The Forgotten Sons promo I thought was garbage. And then moving over to Raw, I thought after two weeks ago, them basically embarrassing the Viking Raiders with that carpool karaoke segment. They had a really good backstage promo last week that made them seem like badasses again. And the Street Profits came back. Instead of being funny, uh, they were very serious as Bianca Belair kind of directed them a couple weeks ago. So the tag team picture on both shows, I don't think it's great, 
But I do think that we're at least getting decent stories and they are moving them in a pretty solid direction where I'm interested to see what happens week to week. Well, with the Viking Raiders, I know you seemed at least intrigued to see where it would go with them driving in the car doing this stuff. But for for them, <laughs> I, don't to know them I would pl- say intrigued. I'd say scared. Well, me. like you were gonna give them, yeah. you're gonna give them a shot. But then to pull it back into a typical tough backstage promo, it feels like we'll, we'll see, we'll see. But it felt like another. Oh, they were going to try something with the Viking Raiders, and they're pulling it back again, which we so often get with these guys. So, well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I think what I what I was kind of getting at was like with Firefly Funhouse, we saw the boxes with the with the puppets, and we're like, "What is this?" And then when they first did the initial Firefly Funhouse, the first like forty five seconds, you're like, "Oh my god, his career is dead." Like Bray Wyatt's done. But by the end of the segment, and then certainly as you went forward multiple weeks, you're like, "Whoa." This is awesome and unique and different, right? So my thought was, look, what I just saw on Monday night was horrible. It was laughable. It was embarrassing for the Viking Raiders. But what if this is just the beginning of something that, you know, I, I always hold out a little bit sure. of hope. What if what if something else is going to happen here where they're like happy-go-lucky guys, but then they, a switch turns and they're badasses? I don't know how they could have saved it, but they didn't. They just kind of reverted back. And I'm okay with it because those guys are badasses. But look... With, with them from going from War Machine in NJPW to the War Raiders on NXT, already it had diminished them a little bit with the, the face paint and the leaning into the Viking stuff. But then them coming up to the main roster as the Viking experience, horrible. <laughs> and, then even, and then even now still being the Viking Raiders, that's not actually the worst name, but this is 2020. I don't need Vikings. On my television, I don't need modern day Vikings, and it just puts me off. And I don't know that they can say that honestly. I, I don't know who they are, and whatever it is, just go with it. The problem is they keep they keep being pulled in different directions. Have them be regular dudes who wear Viking stuff. That's fine. Just let me get to know them. I don't know these guys, and every week it feels a little bit different. Right, like they they could be Vikings without the horns and stuff. Like they can be guys who are. Vikings and personality and action, but not necessarily gimmicked in such a over the top manner. And I think that's like 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 the APA. They were badasses and they were bodyguards, but they weren't wearing tactical vests and they didn't have tasers with them. Right? They just wore black shirts and jeans and they were badasses. So I would turn the Viking Raiders into something equivalent to that, where they're just some badass dudes mm-hmm. where they have long hair and they dress a certain way and they wear their hair back and it's blonde and whatever the case. But they're badasses who are there to kick some ass and take names. And that's all they need to do. All right. Finishing up this. Uh, we also saw the return to commentary of Samoa Joe. I thought it was weird that they still had Jerry Lawler on the show when they brought Samoa Joe back. But, Chris, any Samoa Joe on my television is two thumbs up. And candidly, Samoa Joe on commentary, it, I'm not saying it's better than him in the ring. But considering how often... They have tried to do stuff with him and he's broken a finger or gotten a concussion or, you know, been hurt his ankle or whatever the case. I'm not saying he's injury prone, but every single time there seems to have been something physically standing in the way. He is great on commentary. He has the opportunity. I'm not going to say to be one of the best color commentators of all time because it's been limited in scope right now. But I enjoy listening to him far more than I do someone like Corey Graves. And I like Byron and I like the other people that are on commentary. But there is an authenticity that Samoa Joe brings to the microphone that just he should be permanent on that booth. 
I would I, I would like it to just be Tom and Joe. I, I, yeah. I I'm not a fan of three man boots in general, and I think you you need to develop some not bickering but back and forth that moves things forward and doesn't take it back like we so often get with Corey. And I think you're you're seeing exactly what you want with in AEW with Terry Schiavone and Chris Jericho and that they bicker with each other, but it it's largely to move things forward in terms of what you're watching on the screen. And I think Joe brings a lot. I just would like more of him. So when you kind of yeah. get, when you get him and Byron and Tom, it's just a lot. And I, I'm just in all, and generally in all sports, I, pr- I just wanted to a two man booth, two person booth. And um, yeah, I thought Joe was good, solid, would just like more of him and less of the other people. So give me a two man booth, let him go and see what happens. No, you're right. It's it's more real sports. It's you have the play by play guy being deferential to the former athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, man, hopefully he's not former, um, but you you have Al Michaels def- deferring to Chris Collinsworth. Right. You have um, Chris Fowler deferring to Kirk Herbstreet when he's talking about quarterback or he's asking them questions to educate both himself as a, as a play-by-play man and the audience watching along. Hey, Joe, why did he do that? Why did he feel the need to do that as opposed to attack him from behind? Uh, is he just scared? And No, he's not scared. He's being calculating. He's thinking about, you know, maybe this isn't the right opportunity. He doesn't want to put it all out there right now. So that part of commentary is so important in professional wrestling because it allows you to sell what's actually happening on screen. It's it's something, honestly, people didn't like him as a commentator, but Vince McMahon was very good at this when he was in the chair. He told the story as it happened in addition to calling the action. And that's what I want from someone like Samoa Joe. You're right. Look, I like I actually like Byron a lot. And I do think he's good on commentary. He's better than most, at least most of the people WWE's tried recently. But if you gave me Tom and Samoa Joe... I mean, there's really not much to argue about. Like that's, uh, it's a great combination. I would like Joe though to be in the role that Jerry the King Lawler was for so many years where yes, he's on commentary, but at any given time he can be involved in a feud and he can do both. He can be in the booth, take his headset off, go wrestle. Someone else steps in the booth and and that's it for the night. Like, you know, Jerry Lawler was a commentator when he, I think when he feuded with Bret Hart and he was on commentary when he had numerous other feuds as well. So that is the role I would like Joe to be in where, hey, if he's hurt for any given reason, then he's full-time commentary. But if he's not, he can be in feuds. Maybe he can get mid-card title opportunities. And if he wins the title, he steps away from the booth and Byron steps back in. That's how I would use Samoa Joe. Yeah. Real sports boots, you often, there's a conversation going on between the the, the two people usually telling you the story of the game. And we just we don't get that in WWE because everybody's trying not to step on each other with three people. Plus, you got Vince in their ear, you know, saying whatever to to get back to two people to let them have a conversation really helps them draw out the story that's happening in the ring. And that you need that, especially without a crowd. And I I, I think Jericho on AEW has been very I've really enjoyed it because of that. I'm being told a story in lieu of having your crowd react to things. And I think a, a two, a two person booth would be able to do it. And Joe is more than capable as we've seen as being a guy who can do that. Exactly. Now moving into our field spots for the week, you know, this is a kind of a little sentimental one, but on raw, I thought it was very unique where I see Bobby Lashley come out and he's against uh, Denzel Desjournet, I believe is how you say his name and Asia Smith, the first, African-American woman referee in WWE history is calling the action. She was signed in February. She was 
um, already doing matches, I think, for NXT, but she was signed to work NXT. She's obviously local in Orlando, which is, I guess, why they are using her on Raw. Um, but WWE did not publicize it. They did not, you know, make a big deal about it on commentary. It just kind of was there. And I was looking at my screen and I saw Bobby Lashley and, and Denzel Desjardins and Asia Smith and Byron Saxon. And I was like, you know what? This is cool. Like, like it's 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 something that has naturally happened in WWE. And they're not making a big deal about it, but it's meaningful to someone who's watched the company for a long period of time and said, you know what? There's really not equal representation across the board in this company. And it's not just African-Americans. It's, you know, other races and cultures as well. We're seeing a shift in WWE naturally, not forced, where you may have thought like the women's main event was a little bit forced and that they brought in Rousey specifically for that reason. This wasn't. This was natural. And I thought that was meaningful to me. So it definitely hit me in the feel spot. And I'm going to double up this week too, because the Angel Garza, Charlie Caruso backstage segment and the continuation of that long-term work, long-term booking, it's top notch. You know, if you can suspend disbelief and forget that Garza like proposed to his girlfriend on NXT about that he's hitting on Charlie and it's working and that seemingly they're going to go out or something soon. And certainly anytime I get Charlie on my TV is a positive moment. Mine is going to be something we kind of already talked about, but it was MVP popping up at the uh, screen with Shane Thorne and Brendan Vink, guys who I honestly hadn't heard of because, again, I don't follow NXT that closely. But it was all of a sudden, oh, hey, a manager is telling me he's got new guys. And that feels so old school of of, of just a manager. We talked a couple weeks ago about how much we love managers who are just generally managers. And every time MVP has been on my screen, since he's come back, I'm just I'm interested. I'm drawn in. He's 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 on another level on the mic than most of the people in the company. And everything he says feels legitimate. And and so when I see him pop up on the screen when I didn't expect him to say, I've got two new guys I'm going to do. Oh, I'm interested in these guys. I'm interested in what's going to happen. I'm interested in exactly what you said, which is, hey, maybe MVP grabs Ricochet and Cedric Alexander and they become a heel team and he becomes their their uh, their their speaker. Uh, I, I think that's a great chance there. MVP, I'm loving what he's doing. I want him on my TV more and more. And when I saw him pop up to possibly be a manager, all of a sudden, it's exactly what I've wanted. And uh, more managers, the better. It, with Zelina and MVP right now, I think it, it feels real old school wrestling a little bit. And I'm excited about it. Yeah, the word you're looking for is mouthpiece. But um, yes. I would have, uh, seeing MVP, you're right. Every time you see MVP, it's like, all right, this, they're doing something here. This, this is somewhat meaningful. And, and having him be the the voice, I guess, of the Money in the Bank match, kind of directing traffic, it, it does work. I would have loved, though, if, like, when he when Bobby Lashley came backstage after that match, if we would have gone backstage and, like, seen him dap up MVP and then walk and, like, hug Lana and kiss her and, like, move on and, like, walk away. Where it's like, okay, he told Lana not to come to the ring, but why did he have that idea? Because MVP put it in his head and he thanks him for it. And then he goes on to, whoa, is he going to, is MVP going to manage Bobby Lashley? Like those are some of the interesting small elements that really make wrestling great. And I do think WWE is hitting on a lot of those little things across its brands right now, but you're still seeing those gaps where in the attitude era, what I just said is exactly what would have happened. Does it mean that MVP would have managed Bobby Lashley? No, it could have just been, Hey, that was a good idea. Thanks, and and they never go, they never get to it again. But it also could have dropped a, dropped a little hint. And you're, and now you're saying, wait, MVP is managing a new tag team, and wait, he dapped up Bobby Lashley 
earlier in the show, then you're like, wait a minute, if MVP is managing these guys, but what if Bobby Lashley attacks those guys, Vink and Thorne, during their match with Ricochet and Alexander and helps them win? Now you have a stable. And you're like, whoa, MVP is leading a stable of Bobby Lashley, Ricochet, and Alexander, a really strong guy, <laughs> two really athletic guys. Look, I know I'm fantasy booking here. And I, 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 I get it. I get what I I'm doing. I love it, though. I love it. I get, I get what I'm doing. But my point is, like, this isn't really that hard. No, you, you want it to feel like a connected world where not where right. different people in different segments acknowledge each other and it flows. And that's why I really liked that some of these Raws have, have revolved around Selena Vega and her associates because it makes the whole show feel connected. It feels like a show. It doesn't feel like a right. just a variety performance where you've got one thing, one thing, one thing. It's all connected. And yeah, and, and it, like I said, MVP popping up in another segment when you didn't expect him. It connects that and, and there's all sorts of opportunities for that. Look, Chris, we book the damn territory. That's what that's called, booking the damn territory. We do that on this show. You, Anytime you want to, you feel free, hop in and do the exact same thing. But we have gone on long today in our WWE episode of Getting Over. You can follow Chris Vanini on Twitter at Chris Vanini. You can follow me, the Silver King Adam Silverstein, on Twitter at Silverstein Adam. Don't forget to follow the show at Getting Overcast. Five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe if you don't already. Tell a friend about the show if you haven't already. And folks, I know you've been missing something really special when the Silver King closes out a podcast. And I'm going to bring it to you right before we say goodbye. Elizabeth, come on out oh, oh. We got something going that's oh. really big. Oh, yeah. Look in the video scope right now and tell them about Macho Madness. Tell them how strong it is and tell them where we're going. Yeah. Way into the twilight zone. Yeah. And how Kogan's got no chance, does he? No. no. Does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man Randy no. Savage? Am I the greatest wrestler, past, present, and future that ever lived? Okay, now say goodbye. Goodbye. Say goodbye. Bye. Okay, now get out of here. Oh, that's right a little now. rough, Randy. Yeah, yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. And I am the roughest one in the sport. I am the number one wrestler in the world today. Tell Hulk Hogan that. Talk I will. Stand. I thank you, Randy Savage. And that's the danger of doing that from your cell phone because you're going to get a Twitter notification right as you're about to finish the show. But for Chris Benini, this is the Silver King Adam Silver Steve. Three words for you. Bye for now. 